This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we take a look at the final four, one of the great days in sports, and it uh, kicks off one of the great weeks you had, or really is in the midst of the great week. You have opening day on Thursday, you have the final four on Saturday, you have the championship game on Monday night, then you have the Masters on Thursday. So it is a great time in sports, and then obviously the NBA and the NHL are right behind with their uh, postseasons. We're going to take some emails. Remember to send them at MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com, and then I'll give you my thoughts on the uh, very, very different Final Four, an historic Final Four, first time in history that you will not have a one, two, or three seed participating. And obviously you have a favorite in UConn, which has performed like a one seed the entire tournament and really played like a one seed a lot of the year. There was no question if you followed college basketball, nobody's surprised by UConn. They were one of the five or six best teams all year. They had a slump at the beginning of the Big East tournament, a uh, Big East season. But other than that, in December they were the best team in the country, and then late in the season they started to morph back into that team again. Uh, in terms of size and depth and offensive ability, they they can kill you from three led by Hawkins, who is as good a pure shooter as there is in the college game. And they have a tremendous size inside uh, and are a very, very deep team. So uh, they're going to take some beating, there's no question. And they deserve to be the favorite, but they're a very solid favorite on the Final Four floor. That game is between five and and five and a half and six points. And that's a lot to give a Miami team, which has been a lethal and – Call it lethal, underdog. In the other game, you have Florida Atlantic and San Diego State, two teams that have defined themselves very, very well in this tournament. So we'll get to all that. But first, let's get to some emails. uh, And then, like I said, we will uh, double back on the final four and the thoughts there. Um, Niraj in Providence starts us off. Big UConn fan here. Do you think it's negative that we haven't played a number one thus far? No. I don't think it is in this tournament that important. You played Arkansas, which beat Kansas. Okay. You played Gonzaga, which beat UCLA and you embarrassed Gonzaga. Now UCLA was not at full strength. We know that. And Gonzaga beat him with a long three when they were down one late. Um, But they beat 
some good schools, so I don't think it matters that they didn't beat a number one. Is it impressive that Miami was able to knock off Houston and Texas? Yes. Was it impressive that San Diego State was able to come back on Alabama? Yes. And then shut down Creighton? Yes. Um, and perform the way they did defensively in those games? Yes. But you know what? UConn has been very impressive. They've won every game by at least 15 points. Uh, the 10th team in history to make the Final Four and do that, They win every game by at least 10 points. Now, history says that you're going to see a tight game somewhere along the way. That is usually the form. Very few teams in history have ever ripped through winning all six games that way. So would not surprise to see them play a white knuckler in the uh, final four, but they are without question the team to beat. Uh, Gerard, do you think the NCAA are thanking their uh, Lord above that Alabama didn't make the final four so they don't have to deal with the incident and the spotlight? Yes, I think without question it would have been uh, a very, very tough final four for Alabama under the scrutiny. Miller has already declared for the uh, draft. Did he hurt his draft position? Well, when he goes and does his individual workouts and they have a chance to see him when he is just doing basketball and he's out of the scrutiny of, of, of the spotlight from what happened, if he performs to his uh, ability, he will be the second or third player picked. If he's ever picked below that, he could be one of the steals of all time because I told you before, I know he didn't play well in the NCAA tournament. They said he had a groin pull. He was traveling with bodyguards. He was receiving death threats. Uh, It clearly impacted him. He had a terrible, terrible tournament. But the kid is the closest thing to Durant I've ever seen. And he is a terrific, terrific talent. And if he goes, like I said, anywhere past three in the draft, he's a steal of all. It might be a steal of all time. Kevin uh, in Texas, as a 27-year-old Met fan, there have been not many teams with these kinds of high expectations coming off a 100-win season. It feels like the World Series are bust. But with the lack of turnover in the batting lineup, the uh, age in the pitching rotation, the loss of Diaz, how can expectations be higher when teams like the Phillies and Braves have better lineups. The Braves do. Uh, Phillies do, though. But the Phillies uh, don't have Harper, don't have Hoskins. Um, the Braves are legit. I don't think there's any question about that. They already sustained an injury on opening day. The Mets obviously have an injury now to Verlander, which just, again, purports to his age. Um, the loss of Diaz will impact them. There's no question about that. It might not impact them as much in the regular season as you think, but it will impact them in big spots. Uh, I would not call the Mets complete right now, but remember, you are dealing with a franchise that has a bottomless reservoir of money. So if they need to go out and refurbish the pitching staff, they will. If they need to go out and get a hitter, they will. And, you know, let it unfold first. Let them look at what they have on the roster and let them make that decision as they move into the season. And then they will do what they have to do. You know, you don't ever think that the team that is there on 
you know, the 30th of March that comes north is the team that has to play the entire season. You can't say that about the Yankees either. I mean, the Yankees have an issue. What is, you know, the fact that they had a DH Torres on opening day tells you that they have a glut on in the infield that has to be dealt with. Torres has to play. I can see the Yankees dealing Torres for a pitcher. I, 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 now, they're going to miss Torres. He's a good player, and he's a good clutch player. Do they want to have him long term? No, I don't think they do. So I could see him being moved. It might not be tomorrow, but I can see him being moved. When somebody needs a middle infielder, now he's not a shortstop, he's a second baseman. But the idea that you have to DH him so that you can get LeMayo and Donaldson in the lineup, I mean, you're going to play Donaldson early in the season. First of all, Donaldson hit a little bit in, in, in the spring, so they were going, you know, he came on a little bit late in the spring. Number two, they're going to try and deal Donaldson somewhere, so they're going to play him. They're not going to sit him on the bench. And LeMayu, they need him in the top of the lineup. Until Volpe shows you that he can get on base consistently, if Volpe shows you that he can get on base, and I understand people wanted to glorify that walk to the end of the earth, the walk in a stolen base. Uh, listen, the hype about Volpe has to calm down. It will calm down. You could tell how starved the Yankee fans were for something like that because of the way they had, they treated him yesterday. I mean, the ovation he got was unbelievable. You know, I think it surprised some people, and it may have bothered some people, too. Who knows? Brendan and Lindbrook. Severino is constantly getting injured and has been an unreliable starter. What do you think about putting him in the back of the bullpen as a closer? No, I think he's. A, I think right now you're thinking of him as a starting pitcher. Um, the Yankees have arms. They have they have some good arms in the bullpen. Doesn't mean one of them's going to be a great closer. We don't know if Holmes is going to be back to the level he was. Let's see. Let's see if he can get back to where he was last year. We'll let that unfold. But I, I don't think there's plans for that. And the Yankees need starters as it is. Uh, Stephen Morristown. I recall a great clip online uh, about WrestleMania and your kids about whether you'd buy WrestleMania. Uh, does the Francesca House still order WrestleMania? Uh, did you ever gain any respect for wrestling? No, I have no respect for wrestling. I don't watch it. But I don't have any – I don't – have any disdain for people who do. I mean, I, to each their own. I am very, very much that way. I never try to be judgmental about whatever anybody wants to watch or what they want to view. Okay, that's their choice in life. I, I believe in them having that freedom of choice. Am I a WrestleMania guy? No. Have I ever uh, promoted WrestleMania to my kids who are now, you know, juniors and seniors in high school? No. Um, are they as big of fans? I'd say no. I'd say they're not. I'd say uh, they've moved on to more conventional sports now uh, than they did about wrestling. They were wrestling fans. I tell you, they are big fans of the, uh, you know, the new style fighting, which I'm not. They are fans of that. They watch those championship fights. They watch those big matchups. They buy those big matchups. So uh, a lot of teenagers do, and uh, my kids do. They like those big fights. They have a bunch of kids over to watch those big fights, uh, you know, a bunch of guys over. And uh, they do 
and I don't even know the guys' names, and they watch those fights, but that's what they like. Um, Shannon, do you see Calipari coaching another school if he's fired from Kentucky? I told you, I don't think Calipari's going anywhere. Plus, remember, um, whenever you discount Calipari is when he is going to get his back up. He is mentally tough. Uh, You can't kill him off. And my understanding is he had the number one recruiting class in the country. Now, the portal changes stuff because the movement of the players, we're talking about 2,000 players moving, which shows you what an absurdity this whole thing is right now. It was not designed for that, but you can't stop it. They're talking about maybe 2,000 players moving. Think about that. So your team can change dramatically without anybody graduating or going to the pros. But he has my understanding, and I don't get into recruiting, but he has my, uh, the, my understanding, the number one recruiting class coming in. And when he has one of those super classes, they usually do very well as freshmen. So let's see what happens. Monk and Hilton Head. We know Anthony Volpe is going to bat ninth to start, which he did yesterday. He wore number 11, which he asked Gaudy about first. Gaudy was never getting number 11 retired. He didn't deserve to get number 11 retired, and I like Gaudy personally. So, But he didn't deserve that. Uh, do you see his future as a leadoff hitter, and would they make the move this year if he gets off to a good start? The answer is yes and yes. I do see him as a leadoff hitter. Um, he profiles as a leadoff hitter. He already shows that he likes to walk. Uh, and if his on-base percentage reflects that, and he is a guy who is looks at a lot of pitches, he is, and he, we know already that he runs. He stole five bases in the spring. He stole a base yesterday. Um, the running game is going to be more in vogue this year with the new rules. Uh, I think uh, there's a very good chance if he shows a propensity to get on base, especially to walk, I think he will bat at the top of the lineup. I would like Judge to bat third anyway. I would bat Volpe and LeMayu at the top of the lineup. If I would bat LeMayu at the top of the lineup if Volpe shows you that he can handle the bat and also look at a lot of pitches, which he seems to be someone who does that already. His on-base percentage was over 400 in the spring. He batted 302, and his on, I think 302 in his on-base percentage was over four. So he was walking. Um, I would then expect him at the top of the lineup considering his speed. So the answer is yes. But remember, at nine, he's in a very good position from judge except the first time around anyway. Phil, who's the most important sports figure today? Who's the most important sports figure today? Wow, I... I'm not sure I know who the, I'd have to give that some thought. Who's the most important? My first, my initial thought was the most powerful man in sports is Roger Goodell because he's the president of the league that is by far the most dominant league in sports. Um, so he would be very high on any list. If you made 100 and you said the most, the commissioners are all going to be very high on any list. Okay. Um he would be first because of the fact that the NFL reigns supreme. So uh, putting Goodell at the top, he's not a popular guy by any stretch. He's a guy with a lot of warts, a lot of skeletons, 
but he is a very powerful guy. But if you're asking, is there a player that is as popular, or as powerful as a commission, as the commissioner of the NFL? The answer is no. Uh, is there an owner that would be the more powerful than everybody else? Um, the answer is no. Uh, so I would probably go with a commissioner, and it would probably be Goodell. Uh, it would have to be Goodell if it was a commissioner. But uh, I think the commissioners would be the guys that you would be looking towards if, for, for that more than a personality. So if you're thinking there's somebody uh, who is that dominant, you know, in the past you would have said Michael Jordan because he had such a uh, reign on people. You might have said Tom Brady for a little while from that regard. Um, they could come close. But right now, I wouldn't put a player. I mean, Mahomes has had a great start to his career. Uh, but I don't think, I, I think in terms of wielding power, it, it has to be in terms of wielding league power. And that would put the NFL at the top and would put the NFL commissioner in the top spot. Um. Kevin emails, you and I are both fans uh, of Matty Ice. The situation was a disaster last year, but would you consider him for the quarterback two role with the Jets? I don't know where he is mentally now. Um, when you spend your career in one spot, and that was your job, without any forethought, any thinking, any anything every year. You were the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. Case closed. You were a given. Everyone knew you were the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. It was never a question. It was never a question that your standing was good in the league, your standing was good with your team, your standing was good everywhere. And then that ended. And you wound up in a chaotic situation and got all the blame for no reason. Got all the blame. And then the coach also took some blame in a chaotic situation in Indianapolis. Um, would I bring him in if he's not being paid the money he's been paid in the past? I don't want to pay him $30 million to be a backup. I don't want to make him pay him $30 million. But if I was a team without a quarterback, would I put him in? Yes, I would. I think, does he have enough left to play the position for a year? I absolutely think he does. So if you said to me, uh, the Aaron Rodgers thing completely fell apart, would I bring uh, him into the Jets? I would. As long as it's a reasonable price, I would bring him in. I don't want to pay him what he's making in the past, which is over $30 million. Um, now, remember, quarterbacks who are on past their first contract, who are considered to be top 10 or top 15 quarterbacks in the league, make over $30 million. That's just a fact of life. Matt Ryan... Tannehill, I mean, Wentz makes over $30 million a year. So do I think he's absolutely done? I don't, but it's got to be the absolute right situation. And somebody's got to believe in him again because no one ever believed in him in Indianapolis. They brought him in, but they never believed in him. Which time of year do you prefer on the sports calendar? Spring with opening day, final four, blah, 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 or 
college football in the fall with the play. Listen, I think when you rank it, it's October 1, May 2. Nothing beats October because you have college, you have the NFL, you have college football, and you have baseball postseason. So nothing's going to beat that triumvirate. But May is very, very close. So it's October 1, May 2, and it's far back for anybody else as far as the best months of the year. Uh, Santi emails, glad to see Blue Bloods has been renewed for its 14th season. Uh, it's a great show. As I know, you're a big fan. Uh, it does well on Friday night. It would be great to see you on there as a, a guest star before the show finally comes to a close. Now, we talked about it years ago. It never ha- happened. Um, I have been a proponent of the show from day one. When Les Moonves was still controlling CBS, I said, hey, I know it's a Friday night show. Don't move it off Friday night, and don't you dare go near that show. And he's like, I like that show. It's not going anywhere. And it can be a hit on Friday night. And Les Moonves, whatever you thought of him, he was a very smart TV programmer. That was his strength in life. This is why he got paid all that money. Um, This show has had a remarkable run. First of all, for a show to have a run on Friday night is unheard of. Secondly, this show has taken a Friday night 10 o'clock time period and turned it into a lock for years. They are beginning their 14th year. Selleck, obviously, is the key. Selleck uh, and Bridget Moynihan have talked about going out after 15 years. Uh, Selleck has said that he would like to do 15 years. The last time I visited the set was probably, and saw Selleck was probably about three years ago. Um, I like Selleck a lot. Um, I, but I like, I like, you know, him. I like, obviously, uh, you know, uh, all the, a lot of the people on that show. they got a great cast. And it's a great show. And it's back for 14. And Selleck has already talked about he would like to finish with 15. So as long as he's willing to go, I think the rest of the cast will follow. And so I don't think it's an issue. But for that show to go 15 years, and I tell you, if you notice, I hope they all, nobody gets the syndication rights like they did in the old days. In the old days, they made gazillions on the syndication rights. That doesn't happen anymore. But they still do well. And if you see, Blue Buds is on everywhere. It's on, you know, I Love Lucy used to be on 50 times a day in all different places. Blue Bloods is on like 10 times a day on different places on your dial. It is all over the place. Because now you have about 260 or 70 shows in the, in the vault. That's a lot of shows. You have, they do now 20 shows a year. In the beginning, they used to do more than that. They used to do 23, 22. Then they settled in on 20 shows a year. They do 20 new shows every year, and they're coming up on year number 14. The show is still fresh. They never have a problem coming up with storylines. Bringing in Sharippa, who's a friend, 
and teaming him and creating a uh, relationship with him. And Aaron has been terrific. Aaron's going to run for DA, which is going to be a big part going forward and the strain that will put on the police commissioner. Danny has always got a million things. Jamie's always, you know, got stuff now, especially since he's married. Um, so there's a million storylines on that show. And they do a very good job of keeping it uh, fresh, keeping it current. And uh, like I said, it's had an incredible run. So I agree with you. I love the show. It's my favorite show. has been for a very long time. It's the only must-watch show that I have. Uh, I never miss it. Absolutely. I, I absolutely never miss it. And it's very quality television. And it has, and, and Les was right, it became a staple on Friday night, which is unheard of. When a, star would be, when a show would become good on Friday night, they would move it. They'd move it to Sunday. They'd move it to Thursday. They'd move it to a big TV night. Friday and Saturday night are not big TV nights. Saturday is a terrible TV night. Friday is the second worst TV night. The biggest TV nights are Sundays one, Thursdays two. That's why you always see things for the weekend, like move, when, when movies were being advertised back in the days when people went to the movies. When movies were being advertised, you always saw the movie advertisements on Thursday night. Why? Because people watch TV on Thursday night. They watch it on Sunday and they watch it on Thursday. They don't watch it on Saturday and Friday, but Blue Bloods is the exception in a very big way. Again, send your emails to MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get to as many as we can. Now on to the final four. First of all, there is a feeling of accomplishment when you get to the final four. When you're a school that has never been to the Final Four before, and that is the case with Florida Atlantic, which has not been a, t- uh, a tournament staple, with San Diego State, which has not been a tournament staple, and with Miami, which is, was in the Elite Eight for the second straight year and is now in the Final Four for the first time. So those three schools are in the Final Four for the first time in their school's history. They've already had great seasons. They are playing with house money. They don't, I'm not telling you they aren't coming to play to win. They are coming to play to win because they have so much more to accomplish. But UConn, which has won a lot of titles, which has been a very big powerhouse, which was built into an incredible powerhouse under Jim Calhoun. UConn and the Final Four is commonplace. UConn playing for titles is commonplace. So that, that school is very used to this stuff, as we know. Now, they're the favorites. They deserve to be the favorites. San Diego State and Florida State. San Diego State's defense has been absolutely superb. They were getting run out of the gym against, against Alabama. Alabama got off to a slow start. Alabama was down at the half. Alabama came out. They were down six at the half. They came out in the second half, and they blew their doors off. Next thing you know, Dutcher, who's a good coach, called a timeout. With about 11 minutes left in the game, they were down nine. And the sideline reporter came out of the huddle and said, I heard him say, you have stopped playing. If you don't get back to playing basics, 
playing defense, getting back on defense, they're going to blow us out of the building. Get back now on these next possessions and do the basics. They went on a 12-0 run out of that timeout. Talk about a good timeout. They went, out of, they went on a 12-0 run. They took the game back against an Alabama team that was loaded and that was now flying in the first nine minutes of the second half. Flying. They shut Alabama down the rest of the way and went on to a victory. Alabama was three for 27, I believe. I think it was three for 27, right around there from three. In the Creighton game, they shut down Creighton in the second half completely. It took Creighton completely out of its offense. Now, San Diego State didn't just get hot and win these games. They struggle to score. They are not a big-time offensive team, and they are exceedingly streaky. Exceedingly streaky for on, on offense. I mean, crazy streaky. Okay? I mean, that's just the way it is. They, they just, they're just not, they are just not uh, a good offensive team. There's no other way to say it. It's not what they do. Uh, they have to just try to find baskets where they can. And they won with Bradley, with Bradley going one for eight. One for eight in the, in the uh, Creighton game. Okay, he scored two points. They need him. They need him to score. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of scorers. Okay, Parrish is one. Micah Parrish is one of their three-point shooters. In that game, Micah Parrish went 0 for 6 from the floor and 0 for 5. I actually texted in the second half. I was watching the game and I texted a coach that I text back and forth with during the games. And I said to him, they got to put Parrish in the game and let him hoist some threes because he can make them. Well, he went, they brought him in the game, and he must have taken, like, the next four shots, and he missed every one of them. So Parrish, who can be a scorer for them and can hit outside shots, did nothing in that game. He was held scoreless. All right, he made a couple of huge baskets in the game against Alabama. And in that game, they got 21 points from Trammell. Okay? They can get scoring from a lot of different places. And they can get, if they get somebody hot, that's going to help them really a lot. But they, you, you can't count on them. To, to shoot the ball all that well. You know, in the Alabama game, they shot the ball 35% from three. But they held Alabama to three for 27, 11%. Then on the weekend, they didn't shoot the ball well from three at all. They shot, two for, uh, they shot three for 13 from three, 23%. 
But they held Creighton to 11% shooting from three. And Creighton is a team that can fill it up. Absolutely can fill it up from three. And their defense down the stretch of that game was unbelievably good. San Diego State is a team that has length. They're a team that is very physically tough. Neither one of these teams is going to blink. San Diego State was down nine points to Alabama and came back. Florida Atlantic was down at the half to Tennessee, was not scoring, and came back and scored on them in the second half. Florida Atlantic beat Kansas State because they made some big shots when the game was on the line. They got scoring when they when they needed scoring, they got scoring. When they needed baskets, they got baskets. They got answers. Martin made big threes and Martin will take big threes. Greenlee made big threes and those two guys in the Kansas State game went 7 for 13 from 3. That was a difference. But they have different scorers on that team. Davis can score. Golden came up with a huge game. The big man, he had a huge game against Kansas State. He had 14 points and 13 rebounds. That was enormous. So Florida Atlantic has answers. Both these teams have shown you they can fall behind. They got down six twice, and Kansas State came down with trips. With eight minutes, nine minutes left in the game, came down plus six. I think one time they even came down plus seven. I think it was 57-50. And they turned the ball over, and they came down and hit a three, and the lead never got back to that for Kansas State. These teams have faced, everybody in this tournament except UConn has faced elimination. They have been down big in the game. San Diego State was, Florida Atlantic was, Miami was. Miami looked like it was out of it against Texas. It looked like they were going to get blown out of the building in the second half. It it looked like there was no chance for them to come back in that game. Really no chance. They were getting run out of the building by a very, very good Texas team. There was no question about that. You go back nine minutes left, Texas has a 10-point lead. And with eight minutes left, Wong bangs down a shot. And Poplar gets to the foul line. And then different guys come through. Poplar comes through. Then Wong comes through. Then Pac comes through. Every different guy. First of all, they were brilliant from the foul line. But when you look, they get 27 points from Miller, who had the game of a lifetime. Seven for seven from the floor, 13 for 13 from the foul line. But Poplar scored 16. Pac scored 15. Wong scored 14. They had five players in double figures. And they overcame 
a double a double digit deficit against a really good team. Plus they shot twenty eight of thirty two on the foul line, and Miami in that game only shot eight threes. They took the ball and played the mid range game. They took the ball. And just got to the foul line and made 28 of 32 foul shots. UConn shot 35% in the win over Gonzaga. But you got to remember that game was 15 minutes of blowout. When Timmy came back at the half, when they hit the three before the half to give them a seven-point lead, that was a dagger. Gonzaga came out, and Timmy got his third and fourth fouls right away. And then Connecticut went on like a 22-2 run, and the game was over. Hawkins went six for 10 from three. And they have a bunch of different guys that can knock down threes on that team. Obviously, we know what Hawkins can do. Obviously, we know what the versatility Jackson brings to the game. He had eight points, nine rebounds, 10 assists in that game. But you got Caravan who can knock down a three, and Newton can knock down a three, and Calcaterra can knock down threes. They have a bunch of guys, and Hawkins can get on fire. And shutting down Hawkins has got to be a big key for them. Hawkins and Sinago are the guys. But Miami has been an incredible underdog. I give San Diego State the smallest of margins. That game, I'll be shocked if that game isn't within three points. I'll be shocked if that game isn't in the low 60s tops and within three points late in what will be a back-and-forth slugfest. And then Miami is willing. UConn can beat you on both ends of the floor. Miami is not a good defensive team, but they are a superb offensive team. And they've been a brilliant underdog. And Larinaga is a superb coach. The question is, can Miami keep that game close till five minutes? If they can, they can win it. That's the key, though. Can they, can they keep from getting knocked out? Because UConn has been knocking people out. You know, the Iona game, they got off slow. They trailed it to half, and then they blew them out in the second half. Other than that, they've gotten out pretty quick. And their games have been one-sided. So Miami, you know Larinaga is preaching. Guys, if we get them into a close game late, we're going to beat them. They haven't played a close game. Doesn't mean that's going to happen because I think UConn's got guys who know what they have to do. Now, the one thing they lack is they... Jackson is their playmaker, but they don't have a pure point. 
The question is, can Miami hurt them with that? I know a defensive team like San Diego State can hurt them with that. I don't know that Miami can hurt them with that. I think Miami's going to play their game and try and outscore them. They outscored Houston. They get up on the backboards with them. They got outscored Texas. They're going to try and do the same thing with UConn, which is every bit as good, if not better, than Houston and Texas. That's how good UConn is. UConn's as good as any team in the country. And we knew that all year. We knew they were that good. No surprise they're here. Surprise everybody else is here. Interesting opponent. Miami's a very different team to play. Very unusual team to play. So, the games, I know a lot, I've heard this week, oh, you know, you don't have enough marquee value there. You know, it would have been better if you had Houston playing there and you had Alabama there with Miller and you had some, you know, real blue bloods there. Hey, these teams earn this. And they'll put on good shows. And that's all that matters. They've absolutely earned the right to be there, and they've all done some wild things to get there. And it's a great event. Saturday's an event. Monday night's a basketball game. But it's a great event. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.